Hello and welcome to Funny Business, a podcast for free thinkers. I'm Robbie Hicks and on today's episode, we have Simon Dobble, social impact entrepreneur, global CEO and founder of Solar Buddy and CEO of Barefoot Citizens. Uh, if you're interested in people doing good in the world and still how to run businesses that put good things back into the world, uh, this episode's view, Simon's an absolute ripper. Locke and I love this chat. Hope you enjoy. Mate, Simon, thank you so much for jumping on and having a chat with us, mate. We're, we're stoked to have you here. Thanks, guys. Awesome to be here too. For those listening at home, we like to kick our pods off with the same sort of question is, who are you and what do you do? Okay, so my name is Simon Doble. I'm, I'm a POM. Uh, moved over here 23 years ago to this amazing country we call Australia. Um, so kept watching Neighbours and Home and Away on, on TV in, in, in the UK. I thought, I want some of that. I, I want some of that sunshine. So... Uh, ended up here, um, live, live here in Brisbane, and I run an organization called uh, Solar Buddy. It's an impact organization slash charity. We're in, uh, we're in 19 countries. I started it five years ago, and I also run a number of social enterprises as well that, that come under the umbrella group of uh, what's called Barefoot Citizens. Mate, you've got plenty on your plate. Yeah, mate. Yeah. Take us back to how the journey all began for you. So you said five years ago, Solar Buddy kicked off. Did that happen before Barefoot Citizens? And was that what, what happened before that? So um, it all started for me in uh, around around the work of Solar Buddy, which is predominantly focused on, on ending extreme energy poverty for, for people around the world. Um, that started for me in 2011. Uh, I read an article in Time magazine that described energy poverty as the world's worst form of poverty. Um, and I was quite happily sitting in my little business doing my thing back then in Noosa um, and uh, watching my children grow up and, and just read this article and it just absolutely stopped me in my tracks that I thought I was a well-rounded, well-read, well-traveled individual and I'd never heard of this issue called energy poverty. Um, and that basically led me to where I am now. Every day from that moment to now, I've, I've devoted my my skills and my my life and my work towards ending extreme energy poverty around the world. So Solar Buddy was born out of that. Um, in 2011, when I read the article, I, I ended up designing a solution for the UN, a renewable energy solution to help end energy poverty in refugee camps. Um, and then that led me into the humanitarian world and um, ultimately led me to want to start my own charity to create greater awareness and, and bigger impact for, for children across the world because um, I felt I could do it better myself. So uh, that's what started Solar Buddy five years ago. Fuck. What about <laughs> like, what is the actual definition of energy poverty? Like it sounds like it is, but what, what does it actually mean? Um, so energy poverty, according to the UN, and I think I think the UN Foundation summarizes it really, really well. Energy poverty condemns billions, not millions, but billions, uh, to darkness, ill health, unfulfilled futures in repeated cycles of poverty. Um, about 1.4 billion people are, are directly affected by energy poverty every day um, and every night. And approximately 780 million people um, live in extreme energy poverty. And extreme energy poverty is basically where families, communities, individuals are, are burning kerosene inside kerosene lanterns for light. They're burning charcoal or firewood to um, cook their meals of the day and evening. And um, they're cooking firewood on open fires to heat their homes generally in windowless, chimneyless homes around the world, in sub-Saharan Africa, rural India, Southeast Asia. Um, and it kills more children 
in, uh, sorry, more people, but predominantly women and children every year um, from the fumes that they breathe in from, from these toxic smokes um, than AIDS and malaria combined. So more people die from energy poverty than people that die from AIDS and malaria combined every single year. Why is it something that we're not talking? Why, why is it not talked about as much? Why do you think it's not there alongside some of the biggest issues in that the world? we hear about? Yeah. It's all over the headlines. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 a really it's a really interesting question, and I don't really have the answer. I wish I did. Um, part of our work is to change that, um, but ultimately, I think we can all grasp what it means to be hungry. You know, we've all been hungry in our days. Um, I think we can grasp what it means when you, you, don't, you don't got any money. Um, you know, we've all been students or, you know, been, been feeling a little bit broke once upon a time. Um, so, so those sort of circumstances are, are, are something that we might be familiar with. And, you know, we've, we've been around HIV, cancer and lots of different things around the world. Um, but energy poverty, you walk into a room in Australia, you walk into a house in Australia, you walk down a street in Australia, there's lights, right? There's street lights, there's, you turn on a light switch in your bedroom, the light comes on, it's just, you know, it's a, it's a given. Um, and to take that and wind it back 200 years before the Industrial Revolution, when there wasn't electricity, um, is a really hard task for, for a lot of people to do. So it's almost like this this notion that energy just exists and, and we have light and we have ability to charge our phones and turn on a TV. And, and, and the, the, when, when people learn that, that there is a thing where people can't, there is a, places in the world and, you know, so many, so many millions of people around the world that can't do that. It's a really impactful um, and, 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 and um, numbing sort of knowledge that they gain that, oh my God, um, and it's a huge issue that we're trying to that we're trying to tackle. And no different to HIV back in the day. You know, there was a lot of miscommunication and and you know a lot of lot of uh, bad PR about it. But then when they actually grasped and, and understood what the issue was and and they they communicated it to to the greater world, the wider world, then then solutions started to appear and and, and money was was uh, invested in finding cures and and, and what have you. So. Um, energy poverty is in much the same vein as that. It's this silent killer that has just been going on for generation after generation after generation. But now there's um, now there's solutions out there, and they're, they're renewable energy solutions that that are costly and effective, and and um, able to be implemented very simply to to save people's lives. And that's, we're part of that. At the moment, I feel like we 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 work in the tech space, and 100% take you take some of these things for granted, but also just the the possibilities that having access to to um, lighting and uh, computers and internet and education and everything else that comes with it is that a scary thing to think about like working in your space knowing how much I guess advantage co- countries or people growing up in areas with access to technology and access to education opportunities. and opportunities yeah. is that a scary divide that's just getting bigger and bigger. Um, no, it's not getting bigger. It's it's. I'm pleased to say that it's getting it's getting smaller. Um, the, the 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 there's there's some real irony in the tech space where um, you know amazing organisations, huge organisations, have, have tried to fund um, tech um, projects in sub-Sahara. You know, supplying computers, tablets, you know that sort of stuff, and and they arrive and there's. You know, the, there's so many stories around this. They they arrive. They're funded by you know the Googles of the world or whatever, 
Um, and, and then there's no power to charge them. Um, and it's just this missing link that nobody really understands. I've worked with some really big organizations and, you know, as an example of, of a, a bunch of guys in Malawi that were, were trying to provide mobile phones to 50,000 substance farmers so they could report on their crops. And they distributed 50,000 smartphones to 50,000 substance farmers. And then a few days later, realized that they couldn't charge their fucking phone. So, you know, they picked up the phone to me and said, well, what do we do about this? And I'm like, well, you need to implement some sort of solar renewable system so they can charge their phones. And that's what we did. Um, so it's a real, it's a missing link, you know, it's, it's in, um, but I'm, I'm pleased to say that the numbers are tumbling. Um, the, the technology, the cost of renewables and the ability to implement them and distribute them on scale is, is, is really gathering speed and, and is really cost effective now. Um, but we still need to raise awareness. Um, there's still 780 million people around the world that live in extreme energy poverty, not, not just energy poverty, but extreme, where they literally are burning, living in the most primitive ways of, of, of energy consumption that you can fathom. And our job is to um, raise that awareness and, and create that engagement and, and um, be part of the change to, to bring that down to zero, that 780 million down to zero, which is what we want to do. Well, when you sort of had that moment where you're like all in, like you said beforehand that you you found yourself like pretty well-traveled culture and all that sort of stuff, and then you read this article, what? how has your life changed in terms of taking on all these massive problems and having a family of your own and having issues like everyone else does? How does that sort of play together? Um, it's an interesting question. I, I think I think up until that the day, you know, I think it was October the 13th, 2011, um, I had purpose and I had direction and I had ambition, but, but I didn't really grasp it all, you know. Um, there's ambition and, and you know, you, you think you have a moderate level of success and, and you know, security and, and you provide for your family and you think that's, that's, you know, that's great. But then, you know, how do you measure ambition when, when there's people's lives at stake? And, and that, that day it all changed for me. I, I discovered my purpose. I discovered my, my actual identity, I guess. And, and that's how it gels together. Once you get that and, and, and it really hits you um, hard as it, as it did with me, um, it, it changed my life essentially. And, and in many ways it saved my life because, you know, I was probably losing interest in, in a few things and, and not fulfilling my own, um, my own ambitions and my own potential. And, and now I feel that I do and, and I love what I do. I, I, don't, I haven't worked from that day to this because every day is full of purpose and, and passion and determination and it's about other people. And, and uh, when you get to that point, um, money and income falls by the wayside. It's about it's about something far bigger and better than that. And, you know, running an organization and, and businesses, you still make money. It's, it's, it's okay to make money where you're saving lives. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but the, the true value is in the, the, the true um, benefit is in, is in finding your purpose and, and really following that with, with everything you've got all in without a shadow of a doubt. Can love that. Well, tell us about Solar Buddy then. Give us the, the nuts and bolts for those at, at home who want to get in, involved or want to learn more about it. What is it and, and, and what do you actually do? Sure. So um, Solar Buddy was started 
we, we started in May 2016 here in Brisbane, um, started on my dining room table, just, just learned a lot about the humanitarian world in, in the bureaucracy of the UN system and, and lack, of, lack of collaboration within charities and social enterprises. And, and you know, that, that really puzzled me how we're all trying to solve some of the world's social ills, but we're do, they were doing it in silos and doing it, in, you know, without, without um, sharing ideas in, in programs and stuff. And so I sat down and analysed that and, and obviously wanted to raise awareness about what um, energy poverty is, and, but also create impact. And quite often you're, you'll come across an organisation that raises awareness and, 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 and raises money based on that awareness, or you'll, you'll come across an organisation that, that is the implementation of, of solutions and programmes, but, but very, not very often you'll see an organisation that does both. Um, and I wanted to create an organisation that, that did both. I call it bookend goodness, right from anybody that engages with us at one end of the scale to, to the complete other end of the scale, everybody gets something out of it. Um, and, and, um, and that's really important to what we do. And then we have a, a big partnership program with other NGOs and other charities. So we support them and, and, and help them do what they need to do. But ultimately our aim is to, is to have a conversation with as many people about energy poverty and the sustainable development goals and build, build knowledge that anybody and everybody can change another person's life. Um, you know, we work with five-year-old children, we work with 95-year-old aged care residents, you know, and everybody in between, billionaires to, to you know, guys that, that are, you know, that, that don't earn a lot of money at all. And, and, um, and ultimately, everyone learns and, and they get the opportunity to, to assemble a little solar light, which has huge investment um, from a time point of view and an a empathy point of view and, a, and just a just a consideration. It's a, it's a bit of mindfulness, you know, you just step back and you're making something very simple, like a little solar line, but the, but the mindfulness of assembling that and considering that that is going to go into a child's hand and forever illuminate their future so they can study in a safe, toxic-free environment has a really deep um, impact on people's minds. And, and that's that's our secret source, I guess. That's, that's, that's the tangibility of what we do. So anybody that wants to um, illuminate a kid's future, we're the guys to help you do it. Um, we, we've done it in, you know, tens of countries around the world and hundreds of thousands of people. And, and um, ultimately people learn, they make, and they illuminate. And there's nothing better. And, and I feel there's nothing better than knowing that you've just turned a little light on for a kid. So somewhere in the world that was in darkness before you did that. And uh, it's one small gift to, to another human that, that will ultimately shine a light on their future, you know? That's unreal. What about when, say, like tourism and travel? Is it? Do you think it's important for people to see with their own eyes what what's actually going on, or do you think like the rise of like con- like YouTube and stuff where you can sort of see what's going on from from your living room, but also having that sort of impact where you're there in person and seeing and going, fuck, this is, this ain't right, you know? It 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 it's it's um. Tra- traveling is is a wonderful thing, you know. Like I've I've been fortunate enough to go to eighty seven countries in the world, and and I have every intention of going to every single country in the world. And and I've learned a tremendous amount about people and culture and resilience and entrepreneurship and and innovation from some of the most impoverished communities around the world. Um, you know, to look into look into another country at arm's length and in in not feel. Um, 
you know, to leave and, and not feel like you've left an impact is is, is not a great thing. Um, but, you know, if you, I'm, I'm a big believer in people that go to countries like Tanzania or Kenya for, for a holiday, they should leave something um, behind that's positive, um, whether that's a little solar light or or a memory or, or, or something, but it's got to be positive. Um, so I guess, I guess in answer to your question, um, there's there's lear learning and education and awareness is probably the biggest thing and you don't have to necessarily travel to those countries to be able to do it um but we whenever we've taken um corporate partners or volunteers in country to be a part of our distributions and give lights to the children um has it changed their life absolutely um do they talk about it at any given moment that is one of the most special moments of their life 100 percent um, even yesterday, we had a big team meeting because the whole of the Solar Buddy team is in lockdown in various points of the country. And, and you know, we had a new team member join us yesterday. And um, the, the highlights of working for Solar Buddy was obviously when, you know, went, went around the Zoom call and, and almost everybody that had been on a distribution said that was the highlight of working for Solar Buddy was seeing the impact of our work in the children's faces and smiles of, of them seeing a solar light for the first time and turning it on. Um, and that never gets boring. So um, I guess, you know, if you get the opportunity to be a part of something like that, that, that creates a ripple effect in itself that you can then come home back to Sydney and talk to your friends and family about what you did and what you saw. And, and if you take it with the right mindset that um, it's not a, not a, uh, you know, you just sort of dropped in and dropped out again, but actually it, it left something in your heart that you can share stories about, then, then that's a positive thing. Did you expect when, the, when you kicked Solar Buddy off to have, I guess, to scale the way you did, to build a team, to have the impact that you have? Like, did you have big goals and ambitions when you started it to have the size of impact that you have now? Or is it like, what, what's sort of been the process for you? Um, yeah, yeah, to be honest with you, I knew, I knew, I, I analyzed. Um, before, I, before I pushed the button, I analysed the whole industry and, and the whole problem and how I could come in and disrupt it, essentially, um, through, through partnerships and, and getting maximum impact for, for each dollar that we raise. Um, and I've, I've done that. We've done that quite successfully. So I was very confident going into it that, that we knew what, even though I didn't know what I was doing, I was confident that I, I kind of worked it out to the point that... Um, we could capitalize on on different partners to, with different strengths to enable us to scale quite quickly, and that 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 gave us triple digit growth year on year for the first four years until COVID hit. Um, but we're back to the we're back to pre COVID numbers now, um, which is you know a real testament to us as a team and in, in, in program. Um, so without sounding arrogant, um, I, I was always confident. Um, I don't see, I don't, I was in a meeting the other day and, and somebody asked me what, what our challenges were. And I said, I don't see challenges, I see opportunities. And, and if we're faced with challenges and, and then they become challenges. And if you turn them into opportunities um, that we're going to overcome, then they're opportunities, right? Um, so for Solar Buddy, we, we haven't scaled as fast as I anticipated. Um, you know, we are registered in America. I've just come off a board meeting with the US um, and that's going to be really uh, another hockey stick growth over there for us. Um, but we've got big targets to meet and, and we work hard, but 
Um, ultimately, it's it's about how much you put in is uh, is what you get out. And if you do what I said before and live your life with purpose and work hard, then then uh, good things will happen. What about you personally? You mentioned before talking at the like talking at the UN and going through those processes. Do you get nervous talking on a stage like that? And I guess that like the gravity of the situations. I don't know. I feel like it's like. High pressure moments, or we we're talking about athletes and stuff, but like when it's the same sort of thing when, when it's your business and you're talking about your passions and stuff. Like, I'm sure like a lot of time and energy goes into moments like that where you need to sort of get it across the line to make things happen. Like, that's your version of game day, yeah? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, do, do I, um, yeah, yeah, I, I'd be lying if I told you I didn't get nervous. Um, the first ever. Um, the first ever public speaking I ever did was my brother's wedding. I was 16 and I was best man at his wedding. And I, I started crying halfway through my speech. <laughs> and, and I just wanted the world and the earth to eat me up. Um, and I swore then I'm never bloody doing that again, you know. Um, but roll forward, you know, quite a number of years, 20 plus years. And, um, and suddenly I'm on stage presenting my work to people that, that wanted to hear. And, and I think when you... Um, I was incredibly nervous, in, in, incredibly nervous. And, and um, but I think once you realize that they, the people in the audience aren't going to judge you, they're not going to, they're not going to criticize you because you're trying to sell them widgets or you're trying to do this or you're trying to do that. But you, you just, you just want to try and do good by the world. Um, and they're not there to fight you, then that's actually quite comforting and, and you know, makes the, makes the stage a little bit smaller and the audience a little bit smaller. But, um, but yeah, I get, I get nervous. I still get nervous now. I, I, did, a, I did a keynote um, last Thursday, I think it was, to 400 people in, on the Gold Coast. And, um, you know, I was, the only, I was the only speaker of the night. And, and um, it's fun. It's fun. It's it's. It's as long as you're getting into the hearts and minds of people for them to even even go home and tell their mum and dad that they love them. Do you know what I mean? Like, even if they just stop and talk to a homeless person on the street the next day and say, you know what, I'm, I'm here. Do you know what I mean? Like, if anybody just does an act of kindness and good out of hearing me speak, then that's fine by me. They don't have to go and change the world, you know? Did you, oh, I was gonna say, did you have the same amount of nerves coming on to talk to us? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, good, good one there. Don't answer that. I've got my Maltesers. <laughs> oh, mate. I want them now. Tell us about like some of the lessons you've learned personally from traveling from these countries and, and seeing like the different characters, like different cultures. And like we talk about a lot about like empathy and sympathy now, in, in, especially in the business world. But like, what are some of the things that you were really that you were not not necessarily sort of had the lay of the land off but learned as you were sort of going and go fuck these these the countries are just showing different levels of different things you know uh i I find the world an absolutely fascinating place and and you know i've been like i said i've been fortunate to go all over the place and the the difference of cultures from you know japan to china to russia to to eastern europe to western europe and and you know just going on those trips are, are phenomenal but for me my, my heart is in africa I, I come alive when when i'm on the continent of africa i feel like I, i've just sort of found my zen i guess and you know being very fortunate enough to go to to many many countries across africa and 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 what i always feel there is is there's hope um there's there's strength, there's community, um, there's, there's, there's an ability to, um, 
come together in times of, of difficulty and crisis and, and look after each other. And it's just ingrained. It's just completely um, a way of thinking that, you know, village after village after village, community after community, it's it's a, a united sort of um, front of, of how they they band together, look after each other. They don't steal from each other. And that hits you. And, and um, if you look for it, it, it stares you in the face. If you don't look for it, you'll miss it. But if you if you have that mindset that you're curious, then that's what you see. And, and for me, that's a, quite often a, a forgotten element of, of, of impoverished communities that, um, oh, there must be crime or there must be this or there must be that. And, and yes, there is. There's, you know, there's, there's awful things that go on in certain communities. But ultimately, there's a there's a connection and in, in, in a resilience in a, and a, a family spirit amongst um, so many of the rural communities I work with that, that you just can't see anywhere else. And that's, that for me is, is a really, um, a really strong bond that, that's hard to break. So we need, we need, I think a lot of it's come out of COVID, you know, neighbors looking after neighbors in, you know, Sydney, London, et cetera. And we need more of it. Um, we need to break down those barriers amongst how we live in, in the, the disassociation that we have and, and all that and try and get back to um, looking after our neighbours and friends and family a, a little bit more. Um, and that's the biggest lesson I've taken out of out of working in rural parts of the world where um, they don't have anything, but they have each other, you know. I love that. I want to talk about purpose-led businesses. I want to touch on, move on to like barefoot citizens, like what is it, why did you start it? But also around like I guess the whole industry of like purpose purpose for profit or i think that's how you, you position it but do you see more of these sort of type of businesses popping up is there more room for around it should more people be seeing this as a pathway as a viable option to go and have a, a meaningful career and like you mentioned before purpose comes to, to mind about all this sort of stuff absolutely um uh, purpose is you know it's probably a bit of a buzzword at the moment um and that's 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 rightly so and fair enough but um, I just came off a call with Princeton University and a bunch of students over there that we're working with. And, you know, I basically told them that sustainability and your consume, consumer-based decision-making around sustainability will be the complete norm in the next five years. You, you'll be, you know, at the moment, it's, you know, edging towards centre of the road sort of stuff, but um, but it's still a long way to go. And, and over the next four to five years, it, it will literally be, that's how we make our decisions. Um, and I have absolutely no doubt about that. And big businesses are, you know, they're, they're titanic. So they take years and years and years to, to turn around and, and achieve their, their sustainable targets or their purpose targets. But the next generation of the workforce, 86% of them want to work for an organization that can articulate their purpose over profit. They, they would take a pay cut to work for an organization that stands behind and stands up for what it believes in rather than making profit. 86% of the workforce, future workforce. So if big businesses aren't taking, make, taking note of that, small businesses, social enterprises, impact organizations are going are to, they're able to, they're agile, they're, they want to. And that's where the future is, as far as I'm concerned. Um, government will become less relevant. Um, privatization of, of social, social services will, be, will become the norm um, under social enterprise. Um, that's that's going to be a, a future that we we need to embrace, um, and you know that's that's how I see it. 
the organizations I run and, and proud to found, um, be a founder of, they're, they're all based on, on profit, but, but, you know, through, through impact and, and social awareness and social impact that, that ultimately has a positive impact on, on our consumers and in our supply chain, but, but also, um, everybody that works for us and, and who we work for. And, and if you start a business from that point, then, um, you know, you can still make money, don't get me wrong, but um, you just come from a different point of view where um, your, your morals and your ethics are your guiding mission rather than shareholder um, returns and, and personal dividends. And, and that's really important. And I think that's the future of business. And, and um, I think if you read any, any study from any major um major academic or, or business leader in the world now that's that's what they're all saying and and it's a it's a given so it's do, important do you think yeah. these bigger companies even if they're taking action that people can like i i the word comes to mind for me is around authenticity of like are they just doing this as something that they're just doing on the side or uh, in terms of like attracting talent the next generation mentioned 86 percent of people want to work or having to take a pay cut and this sort of thing but these big behemoth organizations that they run on the ability to attract and retain people helping generate these companies. Do you think that that will be a massive issue that they're going to face around how do I keep attracting the right people, but still attach our name to something and it come off authentic? Yep. Yep. Totally. It's a, it's a huge problem for them and, and they're aware of that. And in a lot of, a lot of major organizations that are addressing it as, as best they can and, and is, and is, um, and as passionately as they can, some are, you know, without without being negative. Some some are a, a greenwashing. Some are not necessarily that interested in it, but they're but they're voicing that they are. And you know, but ultimately they're the ones that would get left behind. They get found out, and they'd be left behind, and they'd be the Kodaks in 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 the blockbusters of the future. You know, that's that's just the way it is. And the the world is littered with organisations that didn't adapt and. Previously, it was adapting around innovation. Now it's adapting around sustainability, and 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 that's that's the world we, we we're moving into, and it's very exciting and tremendously exciting. So those 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 big organisations that don't understand culture, um, in the culture requirements of what the next workforce is is seeking, they will be left behind. You will be reading about them in the history books. There's absolutely no doubt about it. In the organisations, the startups that are booming now. You know, Canva, for instance, I mean, you guys are Sydney-based, beautiful organization. Their culture is their business. How they how they do what they do and why they do what they do and, and the people that they look after within their organization and their customers just, just oozes out of them and it's beautiful to see. And, and they're, they're massive, like huge company. Um, and they're they're the guiding lights. They're the they're the you know the, the companies that that more startups should aspire to be like because they nailed their culture and, and it's female-led as well, which is beautiful as well. And Melly Perkins, is a, she's a beast. Doing a good job, doing a good job, the team there at Canva. Tell us about the charity model of the future. Well, I, I, so collaboration for me is, is, is really important. There's 58,000 charities in Australia. Um, do, is there 58,000 social problems that we need to solve? Probably not, you know. Um, so it's a huge, huge employer in, in Australia. It's a huge part of the GDP, etc. Um, but I think, 
I think the charity model of the future is, is built around collaboration. Um, so for context, the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, there's 17 of them, right? Number one is end poverty. Number 17 is partnerships for the goals. Um, number four is quality education, et cetera, et cetera. And, and they're, they're basically an umbrella target um, initiative. Um, and I feel that the charity model of the future is we need to align ourselves um, each charity needs to align itself to, to, to its goals, whether it's, you know, eliminating cancer or, or eliminating multiple cirrhosis or whatever it may be, and work together instead of, if you're going to end homelessness, we, we don't need two and a half thousand homeless charities in Australia. That's ridiculous. Two and a half thousand charities fighting over the same dollar to save the salt, save, solve the same problem. You know, that doesn't make any sense to me. So the charity model, as far as I'm concerned, is 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 they all need to work together. People that are people that aren't innovating or, or solving a problem or or you know aren't progressing um need to either step out of the way or work with people that are solving the problem and are being progressive and innovative and and, and scaling and, and creating impact and take your egos out of the room and and um you know get on with it and, and let's all these issues can be solved as far as I'm there should never be homelessness in this country. Never. That's absolutely intolerable. Yet there's so many organizations pushing to, to solve it or, or aid it when if they work together, um, I, 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 it should be done by the end of the year. There's absolutely no question about that. Yeah. It's like common sense, isn't it? When you think about it, it's like, why, why aren't these, all these things exist for the same purpose? Well, if you really care, Go all in together and make that make solve the fucking problem. Exactly. You know, I, I'm a you know Nelson Mandela is absolutely one of my heroes, and you know his you know individually we're weak, but together we're strong. And, and if we if we're going to solve major major social problems like domestic violence, like you know homelessness, you know the, the list is endless, really. But there, there certainly isn't 58,000 major problems in this country. Um, but if we're going to solve them, we need to solve them together. We need to come together and, and, um, and, and then, you know, we, we can chip away at them one by one until, you know, hopefully there isn't any left. Very idealistic, but, you know. In the stuff you sent across, you meant uh, one word stood out, for, stood out for me was around ecosystem or communities. Like, how do you think that, that those people can kick off those collaborations and partnerships? Um, so we, you know, we, we have incubators for startups, you know, um, we have people that, that have made a lot of money in business and then they start up their little incubators and they invest in startups to make more, more return on their investment and all that sort of stuff. I, I think we need the same in, in the charity world, you know, and, and I'm pretty determined to, to, to be an innovator in that space. Um, I, I have some ideas around, Instead of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, we have the Australian Domestic Social Goals. And, you know, we come together, even down to a referendum where we decide what are the, what are the key social ills that we need to solve as, as a population and as a country and target them maybe over two or three years until we tick them off and then we move on to the next lot and the next lot. And if we can all pull in the same direction, we can achieve anything. And, you know, that's, that's how I see it. So I think it starts with, you know, um, bringing government in, bringing business in, bringing academia in and bringing the NFP sector together and sitting down and going, hey, what do we need to do? How are we going to do it? 
let's again leave all your egos at the door. No, no time for egos here. And um, and there's going to be arguments and there's going to be, you know, whatever. But but in, I think if we can get to that point where we sit around a the table, then then we can start chipping away at some of these big things. Oh, it's like look, yeah, looking at the big goal and, and making it happen. Yeah, that's crazy, man. I'm fucking is, unreal. Is there any other? Is there any brands out there or companies out there that you're like? you look to for inspiration or you've taken learnings from, or maybe they've had a great track record of doing it in the past that you wanted to take some, steal some of their, the good stuff that they're doing and implement what you get, what you're doing. Um, I, 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 no, to be honest with you, <laughs> um, I, I'm inspired every day by different people, different organizations. Um, you know, I'm inspired by five-year-old kids I, I was inspired last week, uh, you know, I said I did this keynote in, on the Gold Coast and, and a 16-year-old girl walked up to me afterwards and gave me a business card. She runs a little NGO that teaches, that provides school books and education resources to kids in Africa. She's 16. Mm. That's inspiration, man. Like, that's, that's that shit. She's going to change the world, you know. Um, that's, what I, that's what inspires me. And, and you know, if you... You know, Melanie Perkins, Canva, awesome what they do. You know, they, the, the whole culture around how they all sit together for lunch and it's beautiful, you know, like that's, that's you know, little things like that add up. And so there isn't one individual or, or, or specific company that I can name, but I'd like to learn and listen and, and embrace ideas from, from, from all walks of life. And, you know, you sit down in a retirement home and hold the hand of, of a 90-year-old geezer that can tell you stories that will blow your mind, you know, um, you learn and you take that away and you, and, and you ferment that in your mind and, and try and implement that into, into some of your other stuff that you try and do, you know. Um, that there's, a, there's a saying I, I strongly believe in, and if you think you're the smartest guy in the room, you're the dumbest guy in the room. And um, I try and take that to everything that I do. So learn from everyone and embrace ideas. I was going to say, our partner on the show, Heaps Normal, non-alcoholic beer. The question we ask our guests is around, what's your version of Heaps Normal? What's the thing that you turn to if you need some energy back in your life? Um, it's funny you say that. I was talking about this the other day as well. Um, for me, I'm a, I'm a thinker. I, I can I, I sort of consume myself in my own little mind. And, and um, meditation is a thing for me that, that I don't necessarily meditate, but but I, I love to ideate and visualize what I'm going to do and, and pick, a, pick a problem or, or pick a scenario that maybe needs tweaking or somebody within my team or that, that I feel I could support better. Or, and I just love to sit there and just sort of ideate and visualize how that's going to be implemented and, and try and solve that. Um, that's my happy place, essentially. Um, aside from hanging out with my kids and, and seeing their smiles and, and how they look at the world. Um, but that's where I go to, to um, you know, to relax and, and do what I need to do. Is, does you that answer your question? No, I don't surf, no. My, my daughter does. <laughs> all, all three of my children do. But, uh, but no, I don't. Um, my, 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 uh, my big wave is, is solving energy poverty. That's... That's my um, that's my Maui. They can't they can't get you out there on the board. They, they, they have they tried? Uh, no, they haven't. I think I, I think I'm too English for that. <laughs> <laughs> get you in the rashy, mate. No dramas. Yeah. So what, what, yeah. what about um? You seem like such a busy dude. Like, 
you mentioned like taking the time to ideate and think about stuff. Do you, do you specifically set aside time or is it more of a natural thing for you where you're like, I, I, like you might be doing the work, doing the work and realize I need to step back and think about how I can help the, these different situations and sort of make sense of your head and your thoughts. I, yeah, um, I think it's a it's an age thing. To be honest with you, you, you develop those those skill sets as you as you get a little bit older. Um, you know, when I was young, I was I was a crazy bull and you know plowing into things all over the place. Um, and you just develop those skills. I think is 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 what I did anyway. And and you know, I take my hat off to people that develop those skills at a young age. They're very impressive. But um, but for me, it just I just got to the stage in my life where where I realized I needed to step back. I needed to, I needed to take some time out and learn and, and, um, and, and, and take a deep breath, you know, and, and there's elements to my personality that has got me to where I am now and enabled me to um, create the waves and impact that, that I have. And, you know, there's a certain level of crazy that's required to do that. And, you know, and then there's some, semblance of maturity that might kick in when you get past 40 where you think oh hang on a minute um let's just let's just take a step back here every now and then and and make sure you're you're thinking about it before you dive in at the deep end um so yeah that's um that's that's where that comes from but I think from uh you know I, I implement on my guys um support them again we had a we had a meeting yesterday and they they asked me what my role is and um I see my role within the organization and all the work I do is sort of four corners is to share the vision, to share the purpose, to share the passion and to share the innovation and, and then build a platform for um, around those four, four, four founding blocks to, for my team to just go forward and be amazing, you know, and being able to step back um, and see that happen and, and um, enable that to happen is is um, is a wonderful thing to be able to do, and that comes of age as well, I think. So, well, man, we're, we're halfway through the year. You're you're back into lockdown. Brisbane, going about you as we're chatting right now. We're in a, you're in a snap lockdown, but what's on for the rest of this year? Um, so we're we're scaling in the US. We're hiring hiring a team over there. Um, that's really exciting for Solar Buddy. Barefoot Citizens. Um, we're doing a road show as soon as we get out of lockdown. Uh, we're starting in Noosa with our, with our bamboo bikes. We, uh, so we have a brand under Barefoot called Wild Bikes, uh, W-Y-L-D Bikes. Um, they're, they're push bikes made of, bam- excuse me, made of bamboo. Um, really excited about bringing these to market. There's, there's a men's and a woman's and um, a BMX in the range. Um, the, 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 the men's is named after my eldest son, Archie. So that's called the Archie, uh, the, the girl's bike, the lady's bike is called Luca after my daughter and, and the little BMX is called the wheel after my youngest son. Um, and we're going to do a road show in, in, uh, in, in a couple of motor, in a couple of cars, starting at Noosa, uh, Malula bar, come down to Brizzy and then down to the Goldie, uh, Byron all the way down to Manly Bondi, we're coming to you guys. Um, and basically everyone's going to be able to ride around on these bikes and, and, and see how beautiful they are and, and ride a Bambi bike for the first time and hopefully make a deposit and, and, and get that little social enterprise up and running by the end of the year. So um, I'm super stoked about that. Unreal, man. Thank you so much for jumping on and having a chat. Let us pick your brain. It's uh, crazy all the work that you're doing and 
just they're an inspiration man i think a lot of people now uh like you said it's the new sort of wave of business like people are thinking about the impact and the purpose and i feel like our audience are that they're looking to start businesses and looking to do it the right way so i feel like straight to your website mate have a look at the, the things that you're doing but it was unreal yeah to to listen to your stories mate and hear about the impact that you're making thanks very much guys yeah any any time i'm happy to share um it's the future man that's the way it is like social enterprise the way to go I'll give you the hot tip. Um, Simon Dobble is a really, really impressive, impressive human. The work that they're doing across Solar Buddy and the, and the amazing things that they're doing to help, I don't know, people out in, in, in things that are, we that can tell you that right now, Alok and I, when we're chatting about it, we definitely didn't understand this as the issue that it was. So to understand what goes through Simon's brain and the pressure attached to presenting at something like the UN, pretty insane. Uh, if you're new to the pod, we drop guest episodes Monday, Thursday. Snacks, pods come at you hot Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday. Uh, we'll see you next episode.